If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Unsung Podcast uh, in weird times. Hello. In a weird world. If everything sounds uh, funky, it's because it is funky. Yeah. <laughs> We're not in the same room. <laughs> it's, it's literally the, is it, it's the first time that's ever happened since we started. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is. And it's been a long time, man. So, like, a lot of people would have done it before this, but it seems to be that life-threatening illnesses is what really makes us <laughs> decide to do it remotely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's necessity. And, like, and David's not here either. So Mark and David are both quarantined at the moment. Um, yes. Mark, because his, his foolish flatmate, albeit we love him, but apart from the fact that he thinks that uh, Graves is the best era of misfits, <laughs> also got himself some corona symptoms, uh, which means Mark is also under lock and key. And David... Likewise, uh, is feeling poorly in a in an alarming fashion. I'm all right. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> good. And I live. Have you been out of the house much? I live with an Italian. I should probably be the sickest of all of us. Um, <laughs> I, ha- I have been out the house a little bit, although I'm very very careful. I spent a lot of time getting supplies for my parents and for their friends, their older friends, because it became mm-hmm. quickly clear that they were not appreciating the gravity of the situation and they were not. You know, I was like, Mum, did you get shopping? And she went into, you know, Marks and Spencer's and got a bag of curries or something. I was like, that's that's not going to do it, Mum, sorry. So, yeah, a bit of that, but uh, I think I'm think I'm pretty cautious, uh, avoiding public spaces, yeah, from my flat to the car, my car to the flat, and I just was getting stuff delivered rather than going into shops, so I was just going and picking it up. Yeah. Um, we can't get, you can't get anything delivered now. That's for, that's for sure Yeah, it is, it's tough going That's why I tried to get in early um, But anyway, yeah, I'm sure everyone else is going through the exact same things as that So they don't need to hear us talking about it as well uh, But yeah. we were, well, 
we're hoping that David is able to join us. As I say, he's not feeling very well, um, so he might be having a wee nap just now. If he comes in, we'll cut into the episode and we'll let you know. Uh, but uh, for the time being, Mark and I are going to press ahead. We have decided to put Year of No Light on hold, albeit it's musically appropriate to the, the general mood. Very much so. Yeah. Instead, sort of tangentially, I think, um, we're going to do a little bit of an impromptu mixtape, as we tend to do in times of crisis, uh, and kind of keep it themed. So uh, I've actually set up a a playlist on Spotify, Mark, that I'm hoping you'll add to, and I was quite pleased myself because I called it Panthemic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, we're going to try and do uh, mood-appropriate music for the end of the world or at least uh, mid appropriate music for a pandemic uh, national crisis the, this this kind of existential threat which uh, yeah uh, certainly our generation and debatably at least one generation before us has never had to face yeah that's the thing like uh, I think it's one of the things that I think is really interesting right is um, we really as a I, I don't know I'm kind of I'm worried about like making light of a disaster which is clearly a disaster right but on the other hand if we don't do it like we might as well fucking not bother really doing anything right so um i think you're right in picking something or picking a topic rather that is very much appropriate to the the era in which we now find ourselves living in yeah i mean i think one of the oldest coping mechanisms has been gallows humor you do what you do to cope and you do what you do to make sense of of things i mean how do you channel that energy, you know? Because if you don't channel it into something, if you don't have a, have an outlet of some sort, it can be really destructive. And I've already uh, experienced some pretty uh, severe personal consequences of this outbreak already. And mm-hmm. I think it's wholly appropriate to do what you, you've got to do to deal with it. I really hope nobody's feels that we're being disrespectful. This is just our way of coping with it. And, you know, I just hope that by now you trust our intentions are pretty good. You know, I'm disappointed that yeah. David's not here because I think there's a really interesting subject to just address before we do this. We actually cut a big chunk out of our episode last week in the Misfits. We were speaking to Anna. I'm actually, I thought it was a great episode. I'm really disappointed that because of the circumstances around it, it didn't enjoy the mm-hmm. audience that it maybe normally would have. So if you didn't hear the Misfits episode, uh, Anna Goldthorpe, please go back. But at the start of that episode, we. Uh, we had a pretty long chat with Anna. We cut out maybe the best part of 20 minutes talking about the pandemic. And there were some really interesting ideas in that. And it's probably relevant before we start talking about these songs to get a touch on some of them. Um, and Dave's usually the guy that brings up Francis Fukuyama. And yeah, end of history. <laughs> the end of history. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really relevant idea right now. So in, in that discussion with Anna... Uh, Mark, you and I had both kind of agreed and both touched on the notion of like unreality. I think part of the problem, part of the disconnect just now, and including the disconnect in people's inaction, you know, the motivation for the, such a slow response to a really serious crisis is a sense of sort of unreality. Like, well, wait a minute. If this is something that I don't like, I'll just switch it off. You know, that kind of attitude, which I think if you grow up in a in a... An environment. Uh, if you grow up surrounded by media and storylines, as we have, because there's just so much media in our lives since the day we were born, 
these kind of things do seem a little bit unreal. It's always something that happens to someone else. You know, that was one of the reasons that... Yeah, the, you're right. The you know, attacks that, that, that uh, even just... Yeah, you're totally right about that because I've, I've been talking to people about that over the course of the past week as well. And as we've spoken about it before on a podcast, not just in that episode, but uh, which has been cut out, obviously. But other things like when it come to, when it comes to Brexit, when it come when it came to Donald Trump being the president or whatever, like it's like, well, yeah, well, that can't actually happen, right? That's yeah. clearly going to be bullshit, yeah. right? That's not a thing that that we have to deal with. Someone's having a laugh. You know, there's oh, a, you know, shit's getting realer every single day. Uh, at this ab- in time. Absolutely. You know, the, the Trump thing is almost like some screenwriter took an absurdist twist in like, the West Wing or Game of Thrones. You know, there's a sense of yeah. like disconnect with that, even in itself. Like, we all hate him. We all know he's president. But yeah, at the same time, especially for us, because we don't have to live in that country, it feels a bit unreal. Like, it feels a bit like a mm-hmm. storyline that it's fun to get wound up about. It doesn't seem like an actual thing. In, in reality, and I, th- I think this this pandemic has been the perfect illustration of that. I know a lot of people's coping mechanism was partly masking, I think, their own fear. Um, they were sort of, because you could tell when they were saying it, that when they were describing it as, for example, just a version of the flu or a conspiracy mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, I think only they only partly really believed that. I think part of what they were trying to do was convince themselves, like talking to themselves so they would be less anxious. Because it did seem like a logical... Um, impasse when you actually pressed them on it like they got it but they also didn't want to accept it and so when they were what they were projecting outwards was actually what they were trying to project inwards to soothe themselves a wee bit um, and it's it's an odd phenomenon and I think going back to the Fukuyama thing I think that's really relevant first of all it, it, possibly the most relevant part about it is that he was totally wrong we clearly didn't <laughs> you know, but that's actually really important because what he actually does is he's he, the philosophy he was espousing doesn't necessarily track, it doesn't apply. But the fact that he thought it tracked applies because everybody thinks it tracks. Everybody feels like they live beyond these scenarios. Everybody feels like we no longer live in a reality where there are plagues. These are the things of history or films or books or stories. And I think Fukuyama saying that is actually really illustrative of the wider mentality. And it's useful in that sense because he's representing the fact that we are really struggling to believe we live in history. We do live in history. This is this is clearly a, a profound moment in history, you know, the biggest one, no doubt, since 9-11, um, or at least for us, at least for Western culture. I guess. Things happen mm-hmm. all over the world. I know that it's very, uh, it's very Western-centric of me, but, yeah, it, it, it's true in some ways. And... Um, yeah, I, th- I think that a lot of the, the music that I, I chose reflected that disbelief, I think reflected that sort of sense of an out-of-body experience. Like, is this really happening? Confusion. And and also like a passage into a wee bit of a state of zen. You know, I think one of the ways I've been trying to deal with it is really, you know, that old um, saying about, you know, the, the, the grass that bends in the wind doesn't break, but the, the, the mm. tree snaps because it's too rigid. I think I've tried yeah. to be much more pliable and much less uh, resistant to what's happening, like more accepting of it, more accepting of people's different motivations. Some are scared, some are angry, some are outraged. <laughs> so, you know, it's, mm-hmm. some are furious at politicians, but I think it's been mismanaged. But also, I'm very aware, more so ever, than ever, maybe, that politicians are human and they're way out of their depth. We're all out of our depth, but none more so than a lot of people that are in charge. So I think it's been interesting to try and be a bit more zen like and avoid that build up attention that comes from. 
you know, desperately wanting somebody to do something. Yeah, I think I'll, I'm I'm in kind of a similar sort of headspace as you in that regard. Um, I, a lot of what I, I, I do internal communications from, from the place I work, and a lot of my time over the past couple of weeks has been taken up by this. So, you know, the, the, the crushing reality of it has never been more apparent to me. You know, there's never been a, there's never really been a case for me when it's when it seemed it's definitely inconceivable. But I've never really been in a, in a situation where I'm unaccepting of it. Um, but so the thing that is kind of really getting to me is is the is the isolation. You know, and the, a lot of the songs that I've picked reflect that. You know, my zen is kind of different from yours. It's like I don't think it's like well, it's obviously a huge thing, but I don't feel like the crushing weight of it like a lot of people might. It's more like. I worry about the isolation that other people are going to feel from it. I know that I'm going to be fine. I live with somebody, you know, and if I don't have to, if I can't leave the house, that's a total bummer, but I can make do with that, you know, there's enough to keep me entertained, but it's not the same for everyone. And not everyone's going to be in the same, you know, mental state either to deal with what is about to transpire or what is what is currently transpiring I guess yeah, that's, that's Cause it is. very very poignant point you're making there yeah I think like, I'm lucky as well I live with one of my best friends and that's fantastic and there's a sense of like we're in this together um, but a lot of people are not blessed like that in, in, in this situation and it's going to it's going to have consequences like severe consequences for some. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I was thinking about these songs, although I am in a Zen place, I was kind of more thinking outward about it and thinking about, well, this is how a lot of people feel. And and I guess, it's, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more, I guess, when I talk about my selections, but some of them might seem as though they're a bit on the nodes, but I think I've always been accused of being quite a sincere person. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that's kind of the thing, though. I mean, I, also, like, our impressions of things are really informed by pop culture. And so there's, I mean, there's definitely a few of my choices, one, in fact, very on the nose, that are informed by the version of apocalyptic and sort of seismic cultural and, and, and global events that we've, we've received from Hollywood, from just general pop culture you know, y- you get like a grandiose, maybe slightly OTT sense of what's appropriate in those situations and I've definitely reflected that in a couple of these songs, definitely um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, there is a there is a profundity though to just digesting what's going on even without music, I noticed that today actually sitting for quite a while, just watching the, the quietness of the world and even the people that were moving about the difference in their body language uh, mm-hmm. it's really interesting I'm sure you've seen as well the, the, the images that are starting to come in of even parts of the world especially Italy without the, the flow of people you know the, the canals in Venice are suddenly clear and there's like wild animals in the streets of towns in France where they're young just in the middle of the street fearless and there's dolphins mm-hmm. in the bays in Italy and things like that it's, it's it's pretty amazing, you know, how quickly we <laughs> are forgotten by the planet. <laughs> <laughs> totally, you know. And I guess there will be ramifications to this um, further down the line, months, months time. And hopefully hopefully there will be a positive change. It's just that, yeah, not, I'm quite, I know it's quite an idealistic, an idealistic thing to say, right, but... You know, there's, there has to be questions asked. We spoke about this before briefly before the radio show. Absolutely, last week. I think I think we're yeah. totally on the same page with that point, man. This is 
from every such event, like from from the first uh, first and second world wars, there were valuable things. I mean, the whole EU thing came from the second world war, you know. And that that there are, you have to make changes based on these moments. And I don't think the planet will be the same again. I mean, zero hour contracts. We spoke about that with Anna. They they are totally untenable from this point forward. You cannot have people in a situation like this with no understanding of how they're going to pay even the most basic bills. You certainly can't have that if you expect society to remain together and coherent. What happens? These mm-hmm. people have to, you know, when you can't feed your family, you, you get desperate and you do desperate things. It, it, it's it's a terrible foundation and I think it's really exposing the flaws in some of the, 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 the way society is evolved and the same with the NHS and with American health systems as well. That those models, the underfunding of the NHS, there's 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 nurses and doctors right now who are working that are very unwell. They cannot stop working because they are so needed and they're so overwhelmed. The services are so overwhelmed and they're not even getting tested. They're they're people that are unwell. Some of them are potentially going to die and like doctors many doctors died in China including one of the guys that actually really publicised the outbreak in the first place and these people are risking their lives and they can't even afford to to go and try and recuperate and recover and I think that there's no way you can go back from that, the world can't be the same again after that, it just can't be um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a seismic event it, is, it really is I, I I had a friend in the school who would always say to me like I don't know man it always was as though our generation's on the cusp of something big happening something really kind of seismic and for like I left school when I was fifteen right and I'm thirty four now so that was almost twenty years ago and um, I've always been thinking about when something big happens like oh fuck that's is that the thing he always kind of was kind of trying to get at but maybe this is that thing right this is like a this is like a world war level event you know really if you think about it. Um, something that nobody ever foreseen that certainly nobody that's alive has ever experienced um, in the western world anyway yeah there's there's interesting analogies I mean that was that whole independence day thing of one of the best things that could happen to humanity is to have a common foe because mm. you have to unite against the common foe now clearly it's not playing out quite as smoothly as that given the amount of racism that's manifested against the Chinese especially but the sense of a common foe might bear out in the long run and I think actually not necessarily with this but with regards to climate change because things have been disrupted to such an extent, it's been such a rude awakening and we've been so fiercely reminded of our mortality and our vulnerabilities um, that it maybe does a lot of good to the cause, to to the arguably even greater threat, in fact I don't even know if it's arguably it's almost certainly the, the much greater threat of, of climate change and maybe this in its own way as horrific as it is and do not underestimate the amount of people that are going to lose their lives because of it and the amount of people that are going to have their lives damaged irreparably because of it but over the peace there is also this aspect of will this save us in the, in the longer run, I don't know but we have to, you have to just try and make something as bad as this somehow use it positively, I think. And it needs to be built on. The, the health services especially, they, they need to make their case resoundingly on the back of this so it's not allowed to happen in this way again. Yeah, interesting. Interesting the timing for Bernie Sanders as well, given that his case was... Yeah, yeah I think it's just a little bit too late, judging by the results. But I think that will probably inform 
Biden's policies and you know, you never even know it might even inform Trump's policies at some point. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, th- I mean, you see it, even in the face of Boris Johnson, you see there's there's a haunted look in that guy's face right now. Yeah, that guy's rattled, man. He is yeah. rattled. They're like, oh shit, this is real. All right, well, we should probably talk about music. Um, yeah, let's do, let's do that. It's only been 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you want to go first or will I go first? I mean, I, I don't know how many you've got, actually. So, just let's just clarify something here. Are we talking about albums or just individual songs? You can do albums okay, or songs. Cool. Uh, yeah, I can do both. So Yeah, there's definitely um, a couple albums that I'm going to mention that I think the whole tone of the album is relevant now. So the first one for me that, that kind of immediately sprung to mind is something we've actually covered on the podcast before and something that is actually in our discography. So hang, hang on, it, before you before you give it away as well, uh, mm-hmm. just to remind, this is, if you will, mm-hmm. post-apocalyptic anthems. <laughs> so for me, it just the, the whole feel of the album, the whole vibe of this record, uh, really, it, even though it sounds quite dated because of when it was made and the nature of it, and... Um, I still think it feels quite now in terms of like the sonic architecture of it, if you will. And that's Violator by Depeche Mode. It's a really dark record, um, also quite danceable in some ways, um, but the whole tone of it is very, you know, like there's something, there's something isolationist about it almost, it's quite cold. Yeah, the, I mean they're... Almost no, glassy in places. They are notoriously sort of chilled, and I don't mean chilled in like a kind of like cool guy kind of way, but I mean there's something slightly icy, like you say, there is something quite stark, maybe that's a better word, about Depeche Mode's mm-hmm. music, is is as groovy as it gets I mean enjoy the silence for example there's something very haunting about that song it, absolutely it's it yeah. bleak even the video kind of captures that as well you know it's 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 got a bleakness to it obviously personal Jesus is quite stark as well uh, tonally mm-hmm. and it's quite cynical but I think the video for enjoy the silence when you think about that aspect of him walking about dressed as a king even though it seems quite throwaway at first it's a barren landscape. There's this, there's this message of being like of ruling over nothing. Well, not nothing because it's mm-hmm. a beautiful landscape, but ruling over emptiness or the absurdity of pretending to be the ruler of a landscape of an environment that doesn't give a fuck about you. You know, that's kind of what we're getting. Like, the world, the universe doesn't give a fuck about our plans. This is this is so oblivious to our plans and our human intentions, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men. And I think that video kind of captures that. You've got this guy dressed in robes with a crown walking about a landscape that is totally indifferent to his presence, and yet he somehow reassured himself that he's important in it. And I think that song really captures that mood for me as well. It's quite downbeat for such a for such a catchy and danceable song like you said yeah so tonally and i mean stylistically my my first tune couldn't couldn't be more different what this has allowed me to do is throw in a couple of slightly more obscure and kind of definitely non-pop references and it's stuff i would love to touch on actually at some point so i won't labor them too much but the first tune i picked is a track called spiegel im spiegel by a composer called arvo park
He's very good. Wonderful, like wonderful. I mean, often some people kind of roll their eyes because he's like that kind of uh, contemporary classical sort of touchstone, especially because uh, he was used by uh, Johnny Greenwood in the soundtrack to There Will Be Blood, the song Fratra mm-hmm. was used in that. But uh, Spiegel and Spiegel, I, I just think it's absolutely incredible. Incredible, like so delicate, so sparse. Piano and violin. It's these little sort of ascending piano triplets throughout. Uh, the violin is honestly, it's basically weeping. It weeps its way through this whole song. Each note arrives so subtly. There's loads of different performances of it, actually. Um, I, I really like one that's, I think it's the Birmingham Symphony Orchestra or something, that, uh, that are on it, and Arvo Park plays it on it himself. Uh, I mean, he's 84 years old now. He's, he's a, I think he's Estonian, by the way, just for anyone that's curious. Um, but that, that song is so patient, so delicate, and then every so often it pushes up, the little refrain pushes up just a wee bit higher, and the subtlety of that effect it, it's, uh, it's, it's honestly it's breathtaking so it's it's a song that when it's in your ears and you're looking out in the world it, it, it really it, it takes any landscape it takes any set of circumstances and just casts a kind of something over them it, it just it completely tonally changes any moment and I highly recommend it it's long but I think that kind of contributes to it as well because it kind of slows your heart down it slows the moment down makes you love within it a wee bit and uh it's it's a really beautiful, really achingly emotional bit of music. It's a, it's a lovely bit of music. That um, I, I, I'm not hugely familiar with his his work, but I've certainly heard a handful, not a handful of songs, but like a, a wide spectrum of stuff. And he was fabulously talented. Man, I didn't know, didn't know he was that old right enough, but I guess yeah. you know, guess us all. <laughs> he has he has uh, he has a lot of really nice stuff, but I would particularly go for that one, given the the topic that we've chosen. Um, all right, you're up. So. A song that I've been thinking that I've been thinking about actually, um, I don't know why it was probably one of the first songs. I, I mean, I, I was starting thinking about albums after, but one of the first songs that popped into my head, and it's really odd, um, is Five Years" by David Bowie. Come over. We had five years left crying. News guy wept and told us Earth was really dying. Okay, I'm not really familiar with the song. So obviously, the whole the whole concept of the the rise and fall is like a stardust of this alien that you know comes to Earth and sees that society is you know not where it's supposed to be and, and kind of wants to go back home. And five years is like like his, it's like the refrain. It's one of these songs that has like a really big anthemic chorus, but there's something kind of you know a little bit odd about it. Um, it's it's a banger. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's kind of like a lament as well. I really, it wasn't one of those songs that really kind of stuck with me when I first heard the record, and I'm not a massive boy like enthusiast or anything like that. Um, but this record, this, this the whole record for me is, is, is kind of probably my favourite because I'm a punk, right? I'm going to love that shit. But um, this song for me is just 
that encapsulates the whole ethos of that record. It's not as like a Stardust for me, you know, even though I love that song. It's not um, Mooney's Day and Dreams, but even though I love that song as well. This track's the opening track on the record and it kind of brings you straight into the kind of ethos of it. And I think, I think that's quite... I don't know, it's, it's not obviously isolationist in a lot of ways, but it does make me think about these times. Yeah, it kind of, yeah, it kind of alludes to that kind of out-of-body kind of feeling as well, that sort of sense of yeah. what, like, I feel a little bit like I'm outside my reality observing it, kind of mm-hmm. perplexed at the moment. So, yeah, yeah. it feels consistent. Um, all right, my second choice is another kind of neoclassical thing. This time it's by a guy called Lubomir Melnick. It's from an album called Corollaries. My friend Dave Warner put me onto this and Dave's got a good ear for interesting stuff and he was right about this as well. This track's called A Warmer Place. It really is a beautiful album. It's a very distinct style. So Lubomir Melnick plays what he calls, conti- what he's named continuous music. And he also believes that it's the first real uh, innovation in you know, maybe centuries in classical music. And I think it would probably best be described as a, sign, a, a kind of musical pointillism, you know? So mm-hmm. it, if it was possible to play math rock piano... Um, he actually, mm-hmm. at one point in 1985, he set two world records. Uh, the first one was that he played 19.5 notes per second. Uh, and wow. the, the other one was that for an hour, he played an average of 13 to 14 notes per second, like solidly mm-hmm. for an hour. Now, I've actually seen him live. And, I mean, the performance is just, I mean, kind of leaves you speechless. It, re- it really is something absolutely astonishing. It, it isn't always as busy. And I think when some of his best works he knows when to ramp that up and when to actually play it down and I think a warmer place is one of the best examples of that. Um but he always has it in his in his arsenal if he needs it. One of the other reasons, though, that I think I find Lubomir Melnick so intriguing, and I really hope we do get to do a full episode on the guy, I struggle to listen to his music now. now I, the, reason that, uh, uh, for, the reason for that is that he, at his concerts, insisted on speaking between every song, which he's famous for, but his ideas, I find abhorrent, really abhorrent. Mm-hmm. He believes that the entire pharmaceutical industry is a conspiracy. You know, he's a kind of guy that holds a lot of very dubious, extreme left ideas, like far, far left ideas, ideas that are so far left they, f- they sit comfortably with guys like Alex Jones and that, you know, they come right round the other side. He's sort of metaphysical in his beliefs, but it is really quite unnerving. And I found it really, I really wanted them to shut the fuck up so much. And I don't just mean in a way that was annoying, but in a way that was actually morally offensive. I mean, it was especially right now. So I listened to this track and the beauty of it and the the, the aching, like the aching level of um, feeling that the guys invested in it. But then I think about where that feeling comes from and it's really difficult for me. Like, I, I, I struggle to sort of square it a bit when I'm listening now and I think guys like that in their own way have played a huge part in the anti-science in the, you know, that that whole 
ecosphere of like of nefarious ultra woke ideas has contributed to a world where people don't get vaccines. He's a total anti-vaxxer, die-hard anti-vaxxer, things like that. Holy shit! And I think that's so disappointing, given the how beautiful his stuff is. So it's. It's really odd because, again, as well, I want to stress that he's extremely left wing. You're talking, I don't even left wing necessarily politically. I mean, he's so into the environment. He so believes that what he's doing is morally right. And yet, when you mm. hear him talk, I find it reprehensible. And I really struggled to get through his concert, despite the fact it was also at times one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So he's a fascinating character. And I think at the time of a pandemic, uh, he's also an old man, you know? So at the time of a pandemic, I've no doubt that he thinks that the coronavirus is engineered or something like that. <laughs> I, like, seriously, no doubt at all. Like, absolutely certain. I would bet I would bet money on that. And I think that's just a really interesting idea to try and hold those two ideas in your head at one time. But listen, yeah. to, listen to the song. It's it's wonderful. Like so nice. I think it's important. It's actually quite weird that you bring it up after Boy, right? Because we know there's, there's skeletons in his closet which a lot of people are just not willing to accept. And I think it's... Uh, like having... I think a lot of people think that once somebody is quote unquote cancelled for whatever reason that they can they just think they can just the easiest way to square that away is to just stop liking that. But you know, if someone's got trouble in opinion, usually it's okay to keep liking their music. So I think it's an interesting point to bring up that, especially in these times, because we're going to be looking to art for more solace than ever before, and there's going to be a lot of artists out there that we all like that have opinions that we don't necessarily disagree with yeah, but sorry we don't necessarily agree with you're right but or even find reprehensible ironically though we're looking at art for more solace but we're also looking at science for the mo- probably the largest amount of help that we've ever looked at science for I mean literally mm-hmm. people are desperate for a, for, for a vaccine you know and the irony of that is incredible given that I'm proposing Lubomir Melnick um, <laughs> but yeah I think both yeah, we're going to need art but uh, to, to cope with the, the, the emotions and the aftermath, but we're also really going to need science more than ever. Uh, so there you go. So speaking of such a good segue, into, uh, science is a good segue into my next artist, then Chris, you better ready that fucking Prince buzzer. No. Oh. Because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, only, there's only one thing that can be right. Not just the album, but the song itself. Is it Kiss? Because we can't do it. <laughs> 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 yeah, I can also do that too, I guess, yeah. But no, sign of the times, sign all the times. And Francis Skinny Man died of a big disease with a little name. By chance, his girlfriend came across a needle and soon she did the same. At home, there were 17 year old boys and their idea fun. The song, the song itself was a huge landmark for Prince because it marked a, a, a radical. Um, I was going to say stylistic departure. It is kind of stylistically different from a lot of his other stuff, but that doesn't really mean very much. You know, thematically as well. Stylistically, right? but thematically, yes. Yeah. A massive thematic, thematic departure. And the album's a double album that kind of doesn't quite hit the same notes as that, rec- as that song does in terms of like themes. But there's this... I don't know if it's just because it was the first record he'd done since his, his debut where he, he recorded and wrote everything, well, he recorded and played everything on, all on his own, but... Because um, this was like the first record post-revolution, but there's a there's a sense of there's a a deep sense of like sparseness to it, which is very unusual for his compositions anyway. But also a, a sense of like dystopia throughout the entire record, which is why one of the reasons why I love it. It stands in complete stark contrast to his other biggest album, which is obviously Purple Rain. Um, 
this song starts off with like the really sparse bass line it's like a completely different vibe entirely for him uh, it's got a really simple drum beat the whole thing is quite open and you know there's not there's not much to it compared to like I said the compositions of some of his other more grandiose things That record sits, I think, sits in this category, but this that song in particular definitely would yeah. be in there. One one thing about it that seems particularly appropriate is the is the discussion of AIDS in the song. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. clearly, AIDS in the the early eighties was one of those moments where the, the phrase I've heard used is "the party's over," you know. And mm-hmm. I think this is another "the party's over" kind of moment. This is one of those moments yeah. where you're like, right. We, we need to change. We need to change what we're doing. Uh, and I think, yeah, that song is one of the, the most high-profile moments in the uh, in the 80s where that suddenly was pushed to the fore. And as you say, thematically, it was clearly so important to him and to the culture that it imposed on this guy who otherwise had quite a sort of sexy, sort of fun bias in his, in his music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was a, it was a rude awakening song for people that just wanted to dance, I think. Yeah, that's a good choice. You, you can still dance to it as well, you know. It's, oh, yeah. it's quite it's a really catchy song too, but it's it's like, for me, it, 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 it's a really good companion piece to 1999, which I also almost picked. That's a really danceable song. It sounds quite upbeat, but the message is like, fuck, we're all going to die tomorrow um, because it's going to be the end of the world. So obviously, we're not quite at that, but <laughs> yeah. people tend people tend to not think about that when they dance along to this, they dance along to this song, which is actually quite a quite a downbeat song lyrically. You know, it's, it's funny. A good companion piece to that, I think. Really funny. Um, I just got curious once I started compiling these songs. I was like, I wonder when they were all written, and it was amazing how many were written in either 1999 or 2000. That sort of uh, <laughs> millennial dread, uh, uh, it just is... It, so many of them are threaded through with that sentiment. Even the ones that came shortly after, you can tell there's like a sense of that existential angst just from around that time. It's quite fascinating. Mm. It seems to have been very fickened for worried musicians. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of the year 2000, uh, I have something to add to that later on, which you may also have picked... But I guess <laughs> right, cool. we'll, 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 we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, it, my third choice is one of the ones we're talking about. It's maybe informed about by pop culture and the sense of the grandiose and the sense of the spectacle of films, especially films that have dealt with subjects like this. It's a, a guy who did a lot of really excellent soundtrack work. He's called Johan Johansson, an Icelandic mm-hmm. composer who, who actually He's died. Great. Yeah, he died not not so long ago. Uh, the track is called A Pile of Dust, which is also kind of weirdly appropriate I guess uh, and it's from his last uh, solo album which was called Orphe I think it's pronounced Orphe or Orphe So Johan Johansson, amongst other things, has soundtracked films like Sicario and Arrival and Theory of Everything. He was also the musical advisor on Mother. And I think quite famously, he was originally recruited to do the soundtrack for Blade Runner 2049. And then Mm -hmm. 
they decided to go in a different direction with it. Let's put it that's the way it's been put. That's maybe a bit of a, a euphemism, but they brought in Hans Zimmer. I'm not a huge fan of Hans Zimmer's soundtrack for that film, to be honest. And I have a feeling that Johan Johansson's might have been something pretty special because when you hear this song, it is just massive and it makes no bones about how grandiose it is. It's fully orchestral and it is just so stirring in the kind of classical sense of, you know, going right back to sort of Apocalypse Now type level massive classical moments in the score or like Platoon as well like the the use of classical music in Platoon it's quite comfortable to reach into your chest and just squeeze the blood out your heart it is a tremendous bit of music it's so rousing can't recommend it highly enough uh, and it just it does conform to a sort of slightly cheesy slightly OTT but very moving sort of uh, soundtrack to bleak times yeah um, I think you know his work is great at the Sicario and uh, Arrival soundtracks are two of my favourite soundtracks for sure it's a shame that he died so he died so young comparatively compared to a lot of other musical artists like that one of which you just mentioned earlier on who's still going <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I think it's about time we get some women up in here right so um, Chelsea Wolf right oh, we've done I an can, episode on her I considered this yeah, yeah, yeah we've done an episode on her there's literally any number of songs that you could really go with here right um, things like anything from Pain is Beauty going to get you there but Abyss really was the one that I was kind of thinking the most about yeah I agree um, songs like Carrying Flowers Iron Moon After the Fall they're all just we spoke about this at length so I won't go into it too much but they're just aching, you know, there's like a, yeah. an isolation, there's a, a longing there for connection, um, and it's it's dark, and it, I think it appropriately, appropriately refle- reflects the moods of our time, if I can say my words properly. You're going for the full album then, yeah? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if, if I had to pick one, Iron Moon probably would get me there, but... Um, I think I'd probably go, sim- just- is it Simple Death? Yeah, yeah, it's great. That, that was the one I nearly put in the list. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. Again, quite OTT. Uh, like, doesn't, you know, it's not subtle, but it is really moving. Okay, well, seeing as you've done one that we've done before, in fact, you've done two that we've done before, now, yeah. haven't you? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll do one. Um, Mogwai. Track, thank you, Space Expert from the Hawk is Howling. Uh, I almost picked that. Yeah, so I've I've mentioned this song a few times. I think that is one of Mogwai's absolutely best moments. I think it's the ingredients of the band in their finest sort of combination. Because I've mentioned before, I do think the drumming, for example, in Mogwai's quite limited, 
but when played within their abilities, it's incredibly effective and it works so well in this song. That very patient tempo uh, and just the elements coming in. Like there's multiple little motifs that that develop in that song. Um, and I think the nicest one for me it's a sort of electronic glockenspiel type sound that comes in about f- just before four minutes ten seconds, and and sits in the song till the, till almost the end. absolutely gorgeous it's actually not the saddest song but it's very melancholy there's a sort of that feeling I was trying to describe earlier on this sort of gentle sense of resignation you know the the sense of the sadness but accompanied by the sort of humility to accept that this is much bigger than any of us that that this is this is the world and we're just it doesn't give a fuck about our plans there's something bittersweet in that song I think it's a really really beautiful bit of music and definitely one of their best I think in contrast to that uh, another one I do if you don't mind me sticking to it together here is the song Birthday Suit by the band Beak now I was there was a couple of Portishead songs that really worked for me, but they don't they don't fit the mood of the sort of the kind of existential dread, I think, of, of the moment. And one of the reasons that Birthday Suit, which is on Beak's third album, which is just called Three, uh, one of the reasons I think that's so appropriate is the whole song is very woozy. Like all the oscillators on the keyboards are drifting in and out all the way through. It's it's actually easily one of their most emotive, kind of melodically sort of downbeat songs as well. They can be quite kind of, they can be quite awkward, quite obstinate in their music. Sometimes it can be very odd. It can be very crowdy. It's almost always quite sparse. This song is actually quite warm and quite lush. And there's there's a kind of this the kind of seasick effect of of the woozy uh, the woozy kind of sense. It, it, it conjures feelings of illness, it conjures feelings of unease. It's very slightly dark, very muffled, slightly muffled in its delivery, uh, which I think almost suggests like just losing consciousness. There's something really beautiful about it. I think it fits, put it that way, with with the, the sense of a pandemic. I have something quite similar to that, um, and it's an album we've done. We've, so, okay, so we've done an Nine Inch Nails record, right? We've done the Downward Spiral. Um, I wasn't going to pick anything from that. Um, I think we probably spoke about this record. But I'd wondered about ago, a, so. a warm place from the Downward Spiral, which is the the most understated song on that album, which is actually really beautiful. I was thinking, um, basically, for me, when it comes to dystopia, and probably because I had I had an actual narrative as well as Year Zero from 2007. Some purists don't like it so much. It's a lot more electronic. Um, but for me, it's one of my favourite Nine Inch Nails records, and it's got a lot of really good songs on it. But one of the absolute favourite songs in Nine Inch Nails of mine is a song called "The Great Destroyer." 
record itself is kind of seething with this paranoia, you know, this kind of like almost like the, almost like the city that this is set in is on lockdown and people are paranoid they're going to get caught doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got that really kind of weird atmosphere that sort of brings these things to the fore. A Greater Good is a really kind of I'm not going to say it's not aggressive in, in the sense that it is all heavy, but it's kind of got like a a sort of quite aggressive driving rhythm and at the end it's got this massive almost sort of drum and bass style beat sort of breakdown which sounds like your speakers are about to explode like R2-D2 is getting shot at with a fucking submachine gun or something <laughs> and lots of bass bumps and stuff um, it's really cool <laughs> For me, I was like, oh, I've got to pick that song. It's, it's got to be on this list. So that album itself is really good, worth checking out in these dark times. But that song, if you only pick one, uh, that that's kind of how I feel right now. To be honest, that song is how I feel. <laughs> Under the cosh of the authoritarian state. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you know what? By coincidence, so the Beak album was called Three. I'm going to pick another track off another album called Three by a totally different band. Uh, okay. So and it's it's not poor it said. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's a band called the Black Heart Procession. Uh, they're a band that will absolutely end up their own episode in this podcast at one point. But they have a tune in particular on on that album three, which is from 2000. Like I said, there's quite a few of those uh, called Waterfront Brackets, The Sinking Road. One of the one of the main aspects of this song, one of the things that really just grabs you, is that uh, the main guy Paul Jenkins, is the singer and composer, also plays the saw in it. And fucking hell, man, you have to hear this oh to my believe God. it. He plays the saw, and it is just it it just gets completely under your skin. It gets right inside your spine. It is fucking so powerful. And the song's long, a bit like the Mogwai song. It is really steadily paced. They've they've judged the tempo very very well to maximise the impact of it. Um, it does drop out occasionally, I think, to emphasise that tempo, and then the drums come back in. There's a really delicate sort of. It's hard to actually tell what instrument it is. I don't know if it's a keyboard or a guitar, just really heavily processed. But there's there's a very simple refrain that goes through the song, but it's set on top of all these different like weaving, haunting saw melodies, and it, it's an incredible bit of music. And it is very very dark. Almost everything that band does is very very dark. Even their upbeat stuff is just troubling uh, in its tone. Uh, there there there's something pretty special actually, but that. That song in particular is, oh, God, I can, it, it honestly gives you chills. 
I really need to check that out. I've not heard somebody play the song in a long fucking time, so I can totally hear it in my head, but because it's been so long, I'm not entirely sure if it's a sound I'm thinking of, if that makes sense. Uh, well, I went to see them at the Arches, actually, when the Arches was still a regular venue, and they were just performing as a duo. They, their drummer's actually a drummer in Hot Snakes, which is musically a million miles away, um, but uh, they're a great band, but I saw them just in a strip back for him, and he still played the song, and even then, it was... Just fucking hell! Like, wow, I mean, it's it's so strange to watch, but the sound it makes is far. So the next one I wanted to pick is that as a whole album, right? Um, now this is an album that's grown on me a lot over the years. I didn't like it when it first came out. It was really difficult for me to pick something from it. So I'm just going to chuck the whole thing in because I think it's I think it's got a good vibe or a bad vibe or you know an interesting vibe. But it's Kid A, very the way Another one that I was kind of looking at and considering, yeah. Yeah, everything in its right place. The national anthem's kind of skittish, kind of jittery. Um, how we disappear completely. Idiotech, motion picture soundtrack, all of it. Like, all of it is just, like, so paranoid and freaky. in like a scary way but we are clearly inhabiting the the future that you get the feeling Tom York has always expected you know I mean I think he's a very very intelligent man and I think Tom York's the kind of guy that would have been very read up on things like pandemics and I mean just it's, it's amazing that it's not happened sooner so I think somebody like him will be less than shocked that it's that it's going on and as a result when you look back in his catalogue you see little echoes of that of that that pessimism that he has he, mm-hmm. there's no getting away from the fact that the guy is pessimistic but you know that's it's certainly not wrong a lot of the time I did think about OK Computer but it's just not it's still obviously it's still got that same kind of wonky sort of though the world's about to end maybe vibe but Kiddy is like the extension it's like the the full side oh, yeah. of that it's another level personality yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah there, it's another level of sort of dystopian I think um, I, it's, it's a really good choice man, yeah. Uh, so I, what I'd realised was that if David had been here we'd have a lot more post metal going on <laughs> yes yes <laughs> alright now clearly hopefully next week we're going to do the episode on the year of no light so we don't want to go on about too much post metal but in that direction there's <sighs> midwise there are times that in situations like this you get really resentful. Resentful of whom? I don't know. I mean, as an atheist, I don't resent any higher, higher power. I think you get mm-hmm. resentful of just human stupidity and hubris, maybe, mm-hmm. sometimes. You, yeah. you get annoyed at yourself. You get annoyed at the people around you. You just you have a general sort of pervasive sense of injustice that you can't quite put your finger on. And it does sometimes... It, it is sometimes a good idea just to listen to something fucking raging. Um, and, <laughs> but the thing is, with this kind of thing, I find raging music, really heavy music, really hard to swallow in genuinely serious circumstances. I enjoy heavy music when it's kind of almost performative. You know, I mean, I was like listening to Dillinger Escape Plan or, or listening to something like Converge even, who I think are a very earnest band. But it's it, it does 
in these kind of in the gravitas of this kind of situation, it does sound kind of juvenile. It takes something truly like misanthropic to really do justice to something as serious as it is. Um, because the understated misery, I think, is fine because it's understated misery. So, you know, uh, any number of the songs that we've talked about so far. But uh, mm. one song that really does get to that level of profound doom is uh, the track 0.001% by the band I Hate God. <laughs> Um, it's, uh, it's on the album Confederacy of Ruined Lives uh, which again is from 2000 um, and they're quite a groovy band I hate God and uh, yes. the vast 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 majority of their catalogue would never get anywhere close to this because albeit it's heavy and it claims to be angry there, there's no real sense of despondency in there this track does have that uh, uh, I mean for, for starters it it begins with like a rung-off chord that then go, segues into three minutes of atonal shifting feedback. It is a tough start to a song. I mean, the, the feed, I mean, I know feedback's always harsh, but it feels especially harsh as it kind of oscillates and clashes and phases with each other. Um, and then it just kicks into this really loose, incredibly ugly... I don't even know how to describe it. It's not even like a song structure. It's very, very loosely rock. It's it's much closer to Doom, but it isn't quite as it isn't quite as cinematic. It's just it falls in between in a really uncomfortable place and it is truly miserable. Like it's really, it's unpleasant. It's an unpleasant song, but in all the right ways. Like they've actually nailed what so much heavy music tries to capture, uh, and they very rarely do nail that. I like them as a groove rock band, but I don't take them particularly seriously. But this is one occasion where you really can, you really can take them seriously. It is, it is not nice. I, I considered picking something that was some stuff that was quite misanthropic in itself, um, but I'm kind of like you. Like I, I, I enjoy heavy music as an escape, but sometimes it just feels as though it's not really what you need. Some some heavy stuff, and we will definitely talk about it when we talk about post metal because that album Dave picked should definitely be in this category we're talking about. Um, sometimes it, it really lands the right note, you know. So I think finding a heavy song that does that is is a good job. Uh, well, on that note, um, allow me to throw in another post-metal tune then. In fact, mm. technically two post-metal tunes, and I'll explain. Uh, so in 1999, the band Neurosis released an album uh, called Times of Grace. But at the same time, their sort of alter ego, Tribes of Neurot, released an album. Now, on, on, on Times of Grace, there's a track called The Last You'll Know, and I think it's about 9 minutes, 14 seconds long.
on the Tribes of Neuro album that was released at the same time, the idea is that you play them together. And the Tribes of Neuro stuff is more of a kind of washy, atmospheric companion to the to the, the central album, the Times of Grace album. They complement each other. It adds like another level of arrangement to the existing record. Uh, and they're both, both tracks in isolation, whilst they're very different, are really quite disturbing. Uh, but I do think The Last You'll Know is one of the the, the, the ugliest parts of Neurosis's career. Um, I think the balance of production and the structure of the song and the writing avoids it falling into that trap of being a bit of an eye roll because they're a great band, a really great band. They're definitely a band we'll spend a fair bit of time on at some point in the future. But they can also fall into the eye roll category as frankly can any post-metal band because post-metal is just by its very nature a bit absurd. Um, but they they get it right. They get the balance right in this in this one. It's so doomy. It's so unpleasant. It's so feel, it feels so authentically pessimistic. Uh, and the fact that it then combines with the tribes of Neurot track of the same name to form a much richer version. You can listen to them in isolation, but try putting them together or see if you can find a video online where somebody's put them together, and you you'll really uh, appreciate what I'm saying. I'm at the end of mine. This is going to be the last song, I think. And uh, we've covered we've covered LP. We haven't covered Killer Mike yet, although I think we might do that in future. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking about picking something from Run the Jewels too, uh, particularly the song Angel Duster. There's truth for the filters. There's lies in the mall. You want a whore with a white dress? I want a wife for the dawn. You love hair with the vision. I don't fuck with the symbolism. I don't give a fuck about power. The last song on the record, unless you've got the one with the bonus track at the end, which is Blockbuster Night Part 2, but the actual official release is Ends with Angel Duster. It's got uh, Ike Owens on it, Isaiah, Isaiah Ike Owens, who was, the, who was like a very well-known, very well-respected sort of piano player. He plays keys in the end of that. He played keys for the Mars Volta and stuff like that. You know, LP stuff, particularly, you know, you know as his career kind of gets later, he, he, he kind of keeps experimenting with these kind of futuristic, dystopian kind of sounds, but this one kind of combines it for me. You know, it's really downbeat. It doesn't have the playfulness of a lot of the other songs. Even if their songs aren't particularly musically playful, they're lyrically always quite a playful band, I think, for the most part. This song has just got this really horrible kind of synth drone almost through it, and then you've got, like, these wee... And, and cuts of them rapping and the piano stuff and it's yeah it's just it's a wonderful wonderful song and it informs I think it informs us quite well um, okay well I guess I'll finish with two tracks that I think fit quite well together even though they're from very different sources uh, the first of the two would be a track called Paper Lanterns and this is a specific version of the track Paper Lanterns which is kind of sort of bracketed zero return It's by a band called The Shipping News, who are uh, a kind of offshoot uh, of the band Unit 44 in some ways, um, on quarter stick recordings for the States. Uh, it, this is this one, this version of Paper Lanterns is from an album called Flies the Fields, which is an album I'm definitely going to put forward on this podcast at some point. But the nature of this song is tremendous. Um, 
it's like driving across a sort of desert. You know the cursed earth in uh, Judge Dredd? Uh, you know, the, the, yeah, the land yeah. that lies outside Mega City. Um, mm. It's a bit like driving across that at night. It's only really got two main notes in it. Um, you and they build the rest of the song around that structure, this really simple progression that's just very, very negative uh, in its overall kind of atmosphere. Ow, ow. really brutal. The whole song, it, it, again a bit like Mogwai, it rolls along at such a well-judged tempo that adds to the sort of impact, the emotional impact of it um, and it just has a sense of kind of quiet malevolence. It's not ham-fisted in it it's not, it doesn't try to pure grab you and roughhouse you or anything like that it's just got a, that quiet malevolence that, that, that permeates it and it a really, really great track. There are other versions of it. There's, there's one in particular on a, a different album that is good, but it doesn't capture that same sense of menace uh, as, as that one. And on a sort of similar, in a kind of similar way, but in a diff- very different delivery, an artist from Bristol called Vessel, who I've actually mentioned before, uh, has a yeah, track. Yeah. yeah, has a an album called Punish Honey, and there's a track on that called um, Anima. I mean, this is... I don't know where the fuck this guy got this, where he pulled it from in his psyche, but it is so fucking sinister. And, like, this really dark... It's got a sort of sense of the post-tribal, and I think that's kind of particularly relevant given the sort of... Some of the connotations of, you know, civilization, like, biggest the biggest city's been the hardest hit by pandemics. There's something perverse and sort of... a seemingly quite fitting about this sense of like a sort of tribal music but through a kind of postmodern electronic filter Again, a bit like the beak track, it's really seasick. The synths are really heavily oscillated, and in fact, a lot of the 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 melody not just the, not just the feel, but the melody comes from that oscillation. Uh, it's also got these like really big melodic chimes in it that form a bit of a hook, but they kind of they resonate just in, in eternity. they hit and they just ring off like they're in a completely deserted landscape or a deserted city. There's something really ghostly about the amount of room that they've got to just bounce around in that makes it just feel really abandoned. Uh, It is a a really, really great composition. Um, I don't... I'm a wee bit jealous, to be perfectly honest, that he managed to pull this out himself. It's it's a fantastic bit of music and I I think it's, again, a fitting end to my list. 
And perhaps a fit an end to this podcast, shall we say as well? Not, maybe, not, maybe even not a, forever. Just, just this episode. Maybe a fit an end to humanity. Who knows? It's fit an end it could very well be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, not like by any means cheery listening, but like I said at the start, we're not making light of this. You do what you do to get through it, and I think you rely on the arts for a wee bit of comfort, and you know, you sometimes rely on a wee bit of humour to help you kind of deal with some of the most difficult thoughts. So, aye, yeah. But, uh, well, I don't know about you, hopefully you will, but I've put a playlist up and we can maybe do your one as well. Um, some choice cuts off the records that you mentioned uh, for people yeah, who are listening. Yeah, we'll figure something out. We'll get, it, we'll get something up anyway, for sure. Um, it's on the Unsung page anyway. So. Yeah, so, cool. Uh, but that has been an interesting and informative <laughs> ride, I hope, for a lot of people. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody who's listened to us over the course of the past two and a half years you know I don't think we're going to as, as long as we can keep doing this we're going to keep doing this um, it might be a little bit morose than usual and fuck knows we can be quite morose at the best of times but, but um, <laughs> I think <laughs> we're going to stick around because it's going to keep us sane as well as hopefully maybe keep you a bit sane oh it's well. purely selfish yeah I don't give a shit if nobody listens to this this is just <laughs> this is therapy for me man <laughs> but I appreciate appreciate we appreciate that everybody listens um, and we will continue to, to furnish you with new content as and when we can um, I, t- I tell you what actually given that we're all going to be basically trapped in our house and hopefully everybody's hooked up with broadband or some kind of form of contact we'd really appreciate the communication more than ever uh, and mm-hmm. given that we'll be winging it a lot on these shows as and when various guys are available, feel free to suggest something and, you know, this might be the time for us to just see an idea and be like, let's give that a spin. So get yeah. in touch with us, please be communicative, uh, keep us entertained, stop us spiralling into a, a pit of post-metal. Yeah, so all our socials are forward slash unsungpod it's unsungpod at gmail.com if you want to do an old fashioned email to us because you know we do accept them too uh, but yeah I suppose we'll definitely see you next week I think right yeah. don't know what it will look like though it, it might it'll be the year of no light it might be year of no light which is also another thoroughly miserable album but hopefully with David and he's just got the kind of voice that cheers you up doesn't he yeah, he really does doesn't he <laughs> <laughs> something to do with that Inverness accent uh, totally <laughs> Uh, but yeah thanks folks and uh, we'll we'll see you in seven days time hopefully (laughs) bye okay